Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for listening. On episode 102, I'm proud to welcome someone I call a friend. Rudy Hunter is a professional healer, author, and teacher, and has spent the last 30 years working with people and animals all over the English-speaking world to help them heal. And in our conversation, we explore grief and love and loss and healing in today's world. Our conversation went to places completely unexpected and entirely nourishing, for which I'm grateful. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rudy as he shares in tips, tricks, and different modalities to help us all heal. Enjoy the conversation. Good morning, Rudy. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Bill. Thrilled to be here. Thank you. Um, how are things in uh, New York State? Is that where you're at? Yep. Uh, upstate New York near Woodstock, close to hippies. So uh, good. I, I live in the woods, so I, I try and separate myself just a little bit. I, uh, I hang out with the squirrels and the chipmunks and the bears and the foxes. So. And I think we'll end up talking a little bit about animals today, if I, if I, uh, if I am correct. So um, One of my favorite things. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to the podcast again. And so just as a way of introduction, would love for you to introduce yourself um, and and tell the listeners kind of about who you are and what you do. But a little a little preamble to that is it was about a year ago when you first uh, were on a podcast that I heard. And I'm trying to remember if that was the fir- first podcast that you were on. Um, and can you talk a little bit about what what that was? coming up on um on this year anniversary sure absolutely so um i have a a crazy woo-woo practice um i do long distance energetic work for people and animals that have suffered trauma so i used to be a uh, i come from a showbiz background so you'll forgive me for that and uh i used to have a hands-on practice where i would work on people and animals. I was a bodywork teacher. And very, very slowly over the course of time, I became a kind of person that I used to make fun of, um, mostly thanks to my husband. Mm. He introduced me to crazy underground New York lunatics. Uh, I call them the members of the Tinfoil Hat Brigade, who could do things at a distance uh, for people and animals that it took that I had to be up close for, and it took me time to do. They could do it very quickly. And I thought they were out of their mind, but their work was very impressive. I mean, I saw one of my favorite things that I saw was I saw a woman adjust a cow by (laughs) slapping a piece of paper with a wooden mallet. She was hundreds of feet from the cow, and I saw the cow's spine adjust, and I thought this was the craziest thing I'd ever seen, and of course I needed to know absolutely everything about it. So slowly over the course of time, my practice changed to become one of the people I used to make fun of who um, sits at a distance and does woo-woo crazy things. And um, I, I blame my husband for that because uh, I was a normal, sane, sensible person until I was exposed to all of this neat stuff. So that's what I do these days. I have a, a practice around the world and try and do my best to help a lot of people and a lot of animals out of uh, traumatic instances and histories. Oh, I was going to say just just one one uh, clarification. So when people 
kind of listen and they think um, woo-woo, right? And we out here on the West Coast love, or we're all, all about the woo-woo and that sort of tapping in. Love the woo-woo. Love the woo-woo. Mm-hmm. Um, do, can you explain just briefly, like body work, I think you're also talking a little bit about um, kind of energetics. Some people might know about like Reiki, but if you could just kind of explain that and then we'll jump into kind of the what this upcoming one year anniversary is. Absolutely. Um, I started uh, in showbiz as a magician, a professional magician and a dancer. Um, And I did those simultaneously from when I was a kid and went on to make my living with them. And I had suffered a a dancing injury during a performance. And in that moment, my dancing career came to a crash again. and I continued on being a, a magician, which was uh, very, very good to me. I, magic was great to me. So with a messed up back and not having a lot of uh, funds available, I, I didn't get the best care, uh, all my fault, um, because I was panicked and didn't know what to do. And a friend of mine said to me, well, I know a lady who rents empty office space and takes groups of people and has them roll around on the floor for three hours. And I thought to myself, oh my God, this is, I'm going to get abducted or kidnapped or, you know, this is the cult I've been trying to avoid. And then he said the magic words to me and he said, and the classes are $10. I said, I'm in because I, uh, I was a broke dancer living in Toronto. Turns out this wonderful woman was a Feldenkrais uh, practitioner and instructor. And Feldenkrais is a not uh, sadly, not terribly well-known, beautiful piece of gentle body work that helps folks retrain their brain and their body slowly, gently, and it's particularly helpful for injuries and for trauma. So because of my magic background, I needed to know everything about why rolling around for three hours with this lady and this these strangers made my back feel so much better because I was in very substantial pain. It wasn't a one-shot wonder. It took a lot of time, but it was faster than anything I'd been exposed to. So the bodywork piece became my obsession. Uh, I went on to learn almost every kind of bodywork that was available, from Reiki to acupressure work to you name it. I've either taken it or taught it. Um, and then I it became my profession because it was the closest thing to to magic, which I love, on bodies, and it was truly helpful. I had the great fortune to study with lots of brilliant people, including uh, Dr. John C. He's he was he's since left us, but he was the the founder of Touch for Health, sort of the granddaddy of um, muscle testing and um, lay kinesiology that's available. I had a, I spent a couple of hundred hours with him before he died under his direct supervision, and it it really changed my outlook on what's what's possible for us to heal. Um, so I, I was grounded very much in sane, reliable, you know, tendons, muscles, push this, touch that, manipulate that. Um, I used I used to be a very sane person, <laughs> <laughs> and then the energetics of what's going on while that's happening became more and more dominant. Uh, the fact that we are working on an energy body in an energy field, whether whether it's a dog with hip dysplasia I'm working on, or whether it's it's Granny who can't raise her arm properly. Aside from the physical stuff, we're also working in this energetic soup with each other. And one of the big revelations was that if you address that energy system first or dominantly, the physical stuff tends to heal up really quickly and very nicely. Um, I, I believe you still need both, but the older I get, the less and less the, the physical hard and fast stuff is the entry point. It's usually the energetic realm because that's where really all the life force or the juice that's blocked up is is being held. Yeah. yeah. So we come up to a, uh, we're coming up to a one year year anniversary for me. I lost my husband um, almost almost a year ago. And uh, that's, that's how you and I first met. You heard me on a, a podcast literally in the 
the fresh throes of being a widower. We were technically married for uh, 28 years, but um, we, we knew each other for 30 years, and we had 30 great years together. So a wonderful man, and I had the um, incredible good fortune to have a great relationship with him. So there are extremely few difficult traumatic memories, except probably the the hospitalization stuff that happened near the end. Those, those were tough. <laughs> but um, that's how we connected through this massive loss, because um, as anyone who's lost anyone will know, your life changes when a big player leaves the stage and mm -hmm. you go, oh my God, well, what now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you you kind of walking us through that and sharing that kind of upcoming anniversary. An initial question I have, because we've, we've been chatting a little bit over this past year, and I remember how profound that podcast was that you were on, that initial one, because as a listener at the time, it felt very raw. I mean, you were, you were still in kind of this, the window of, as you said, the, the, the freshness of being a widower. And so my initial question is, um, how has grief been a teacher for you in the work that you do? And has it evolved what you do in any way? Uh, it's been, it's been a miraculous teacher. And, um, I'm, Culturally, I'm English, so I'm. There's a particular. There are particular kinds of grief in different cultures. The English have their own uh, melancholy. I call it. They have their own particular kind of grief. And whenever, whenever in the past I felt um, stuck, I would I would go and see plays or readings or watch uh, programs that were specifically English because they always have this thread of grief in them, and they had the ability to pull my chest open and help me start to cry and to feel into the grief. So this personal loss is, is that on steroids, um, and it taught me some very powerful stuff. The, one, of the, one of the big things that um, I started to do as my husband was passing, he uh, thankfully he died at home, which is wonderful. Thank you, hospice. There's there's a shout out to one of the best inventions ever. Uh, in fact, <laughs> ironically, the with hospice in the house, uh, most of them were very are are very young. And I said to them, "You probably don't know this, but my husband actually helped uh, fundraising." to start hospice in the county in which we live. So uh, it's a nice kind of full circle. Yeah, it was very sweet. Wow. So he died in the house, and in the run-up to his passing, I didn't know what to do at all. And I am I pride myself on having the most energetic tools available. Um, that's, that's the work I do. I make a lot of tools available for folks. And I was at a complete deadlock because suddenly it was me and it was extremely personal. And everything that I teach works, but I couldn't even get it together enough to do my own stuff, which was the first big lesson. So I listened to, um, it's, I call it the big barking dog in my head. I listened to uh, instructions that were shouted at me from whatever source they come from. I like to think it's a big barking dog. Uh, and it was very clear and very pushy, and it said, judge everyone and everything by their heart and only follow that. And it's not a new idea to me, but it was an incredible lifeline from that moment to this very day. I have made every single decision based on that advice, business, personally, and all the parts of my life. And that advice mimics um, a mystical practice I never had the energy or will to do because I was busy living a life. And that was to be heart-centered all the time. And that sounds really easy. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. So every moment you're returning to your heart. And just the thought of that exhausts right. me. 
so I, so I never did it. Always wanted to, but never did. And I found myself um, seeing my husband off the planet, and it was the only thing I could do. So that was an incredible teacher and remains an incredible teacher for me, and it's changed all of my work. I've, I think that I've produced way too much, uh, way too many tools, because I love to produce tools to help folks on grief. Uh, that's what my head says. Um, clearly, that's not the case. One of the other big revelations that seems almost trite when I say it out loud is that everyone on the planet will experience this. And there are people that have gone before me and who will come after me. And grief of all of the experiences, because no one gets out alive, will be an extraordinarily close experience for everyone. Whether they fight against it, whether they push away from it, whether they move towards it, it is unavoidable. And that helped reshape a lot of the work that I'm doing and my desire. I, I do deep work anyway because I, I think I think that's the only stuff that matters. But, you know, I'm, I'm biased about that. So it pushed my work even deeper. And when I, when I lead people into deep work, I always tell them, I mean, it's a little bit of a joke, but I say, I'm, we're going to throw you in the deep end, but I will go in with you. And I promise I will not leave until you're back out. Because that's how I... Uh, that's how I want to support people, but that's how I need to do it so that there's safety built into exploring very tough work. And one of the other big decisions that I made uh, immediately after George died was that come hell or high water, there was only one thing I was afraid of, and that's true to this day, and that is getting stuck in grief. Because I know people, and we all know people, we've, we see them, yeah. um, who have this horrible loss, whether it's, a, whether it's a pet or a child or a mother or father, brother, sister, whoever it is, they have this loss, and then they, because they don't have tools or the will or they're too frightened or what it, whatever the reason is, and usually there's a bunch of reasons, they stop. They stop everything in their life. They go on a holding pattern. And for me, <clears throat> excuse me, that's a terrifying thought. So that's the thing that has propelled me to just move towards the grief. And I know that when some people hear that, they'll go, oh, no, no, that's, I, can't, I could never do that. <laughs> that's, that's way too scary. For me, the opposite is way too scary. To go right. into that holding pattern that you never leave. That feels very purgatory, Kafkaish, just awful. So I decided even if I was going to move into the grief, I was going to go full bore with the idea that at least that direction I wouldn't get stuck in. It might be awful, and parts of it were. Not as awful, you know, honestly. There have been a couple of anniversary dates in this year that have been awful, but not nearly as many as I would have thought. Um, so that was, that was good to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's been a big teacher. I appreciate you walking through that. There's, there's something that comes to mind, a great phrase that I, that I heard, um, around the time of a, of a, of a loss of a parent. And that phrase was grief is love with no place to go. And it reminds me that you know, grief and love are two sides of the same coin. Um, and it's really interesting to me as well, because when you think about, as you described, grief, is it's, it's the one thing, I mean, loss and mortality is the one thing that bonds every single one of us, right? It's, it is unavoidable in this human experience. And still, it's also the one thing that we're all trying to run away from. Um, and similarly, love is this interesting experience that I think every human wants and is terrified of at the same time. So 
you know, this coin is sort of spinning in the air at, at any given time. And depending on where it lands on any given day, we might be facing grief, we might be facing love. So I'm just I'm just curious if 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 you have thoughts on that. I mean, that's one of those phrases or concepts that has befriended me. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. It's so accurate. And I've I've heard a very similar thing, which is also that grief is the price of love. Um, and that always sears through me. Um, because we're talking about that same territory. We all do want love. We all don't think grief will happen to us. One of the one of the really useful things I learned way back, way, way, way back when in a in an NLP class I took was how to pre-grieve folks we love. And mm. it was mm. so smart that I've done it with every substantial relationship I've ever had, include including my pets. And the idea is that we go through mentally and emotionally the mechanics of the the realization that this will not last and we will lose that person and you only do this when you're having a good time <laughs> you, you don't you don't right. do it when they're in trouble you, you don't do it when they're, to do it <laughs> exactly and then you can compartmentalize the fact that you've done this because your nervous system really does remember the pre-grieving and everyone i've taught this to has said the same thing the grief is still awful and it's no longer fresh territory so it's a little bit familiar and it does take the the jagged top edge off it at least a little so that's a useful practice and i certainly did that one of the things about love that is so painful is that the love is inevitably going to end whether that's a breakup whether that's they move to casablanca or they get hit by a bus and i'm not making light of that but they they pass however they pass or the rudest surprise of all you know we have this plan we pre-grieve people they're gonna die and oh we die crap that was that wasn't in the plan one way or another it will end one of the one of the spiritual beliefs that i have that isn't shared by half the world probably is that love continues on that it's a palpable energy that continues on but there there are millions of people in the world that don't believe that and you don't have to believe that but boy is it a comfort <laughs> Uh, when I talk, when I talk to my husband's ashes every day, uh, and I, I move back into that energetic stream, it's, it's unbelievably comforting and it's as real as a cereal bowl or a skyscraper, uh, in my experience. But I also understand that for some folks, that's just not, that's just not the way they, they see the world. One of the one of the really challenging things about grief is we don't know what to do with it. We're certainly never taught. Um, there are only so many casseroles you can be given, and trust me, I I love a good casserole. Like, I will take your lasagna <laughs> happily because that I don't have to make it that way. But our friends, my friends, have been stellar through this and have done sneaky, wise, wonderful clever things because they know me well and they know how to support me and I'm very lucky but everybody only has a certain set of tools casseroles commiserating phone calls checking in all of those are great but we still don't know what to do with the feelings and the worst part for grievers has got to be that stretch between two and four in the morning when you're all alone everything's closed you can't yes. talk to anybody um, one of the reasons i produce so many tools that are on recording is specifically for this time of the uh, early morning or late at night because that's when we need to be held um, and there is another piece i one of the things i have missed the most is the physical touch of my husband of literally being held 
So to the best of my ability, I've even produced material to help re-engage the nervous system around being touched. The memory of touch is alive in our system and we can, we can access that. We can get to that experience. Um, so we're part, part of what that lack of, I don't want to call it lack of support because I feel incredibly well supported, but one of the things we're lacking is access to those things that stop us from feeling 100% alone in the world. And nothing but grief right. gets us there in all its rawness. It is raw. It's why people start drinking when they lose a loved one. It's why they smoke their face off. It's why they get high. It's why they drive recklessly. It's why they online shop uh, like maniacs. All of, all of our regular coping mechanisms and behavior go into hyperdrive because we're faced with our, our aloneness, and that's the thing that scares us more than anything else. Yeah, and at the same time, that's the thing that unites us more than anything else. Um, and that that's the paradox, right? I mean, that's the part where your mind cannot make sense of it. But as you described, the body feels it. And, and, and I think when, when you talk about that window of time between two and four, I mean, even just you saying that, and I think people listening, they'll feel it. Anybody, like I, I felt it right behind my sternum, right? It's a, it's a little ball of pressure that comes up that because that time period is exactly right. It's when you, it's when you wake up in the middle of the night um, and you feel the chasm, right? You feel the, the stillness and very similar to what you described before when you help people by jumping in the deep end with them, because that, that window of time feels like a very dark and cold, murky, tumultuous current that is the deep end. And we just kind of want to get out of it, right? But, but or, or not be alone in it, as you described. And you're staring at the ceiling or you're looking out the window and, you know, it's, I've experienced that quite a bit. And, and I, in some ways, I've tried to repurpose what that window of time is, um, and actually, rather than run away from it and rather than avoid it, almost turn up my dials of listening and feeling and sort of see what comes to me because that window is very powerful. It sure is. Yeah. We, we've had a lot of talk. We haven't talked about this specifically, but you and I have had a lot of a talks while, while walking. Um, we, we figured out mm -hmm. we were walking at the same time. So we, we called each other and had chats. They were wonderful that time really is special on the terror side of things. It's also the time when most heart attacks happen. It's the time really. Oh yeah. Yeah. Biologically it's the, it's the time when most panic attacks, uh, spike. There's a lot of stuff going on that certainly doesn't help the feeling of being alone and being, uh, you know, lost in the ocean of, of, Oh my God. But one of the reasons, folks who are meditators or folks who are interested in what's going on in them do better is that that real function of being able to tune into what's here now. And in a perfect world, it's, it's good to get fast with that first before you suffer a horrendous loss because the horrendous loss is just distracting as hell and terrifying. But what's happening in the heart, and I mean the energetic field of the heart, the whole shmagegi, right? Not just your, your pumping, uh, not just the pump, is we're, if we can pay attention to what's in that heart space, especially at that time, there is an entire universe after you get past that first layer of, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And a lot of people because they haven't been led well or they haven't been taught that that's the case, don't trust that there's anything past that oh my god layer. So it's like, nope, not going there, thank you. Um, if you read the biographies of lots of creative people, you'll find that many of them are doing Bill's Maneuver. 
<laughs> it's like, hmm, what's going on here that I can pay attention to? Is there a story here? Is there a, is there something I need to know? Almost always there's something we need to know or need to experience. Is there an opening? Yeah. Is there an opening? Can, can, can I even get there? <laughs> right. Right. I, I think one of the, as you described sort of the, um, grief walking, I mean, you, you said walking and, and, and we did connect as, as walkers and we talked and we walked and I think the motion of talking through emotions and the movement really helps. And I, and as you described, that's probably one of the more constricting things about that time in the, in the middle of the, the night or the morning, depending on how you look at it, where you're under a blanket, you're in a bed, it's dark, you don't want to disturb people in your domicile, your partner or your spouse or your children. And it can be quite suffocating. Um, what what techniques do people do? You, can you share it with people that might know that? Well, I, I think a lot of people do know that very well. They just might not have spoken it or named it. Absolutely. And and you very rightly point out that there's there's a lot of input there. Even though you're lying motionless or restless, however however you are, whether you're hugging a pillow or trying not to wake up the house, you're in you're in corpse pose. So that's no small deal to your nervous system. This is, there are, there are old French expressions that every night we practice for death by being in, by having a small death, by, him, by being in that, in that pose. So there's a lot that keeps tapping into our awareness. And heaven forbid, if you are there with a problem like a toothache or a diagnosis that you've just received or or you have a thing that you don't know what it is i mean we all know the torture that the mind likes to to jump on there so there are a couple of there are a couple of easy things to do while we do this i actually want to do um when i i teach you some of the the useful things you can do i want to do a little process to take some of the trauma out of that because it's a very tough time if you talk to insomniacs they'll tell you this stretch of time for them is hell mm -hmm. because it's because it's mostly without form and the world is sleeping there there's real feedback that we're alone and the truth of the matter is we are alone and we're also not <laughs> mm -hmm. so a couple of things that are really useful you're Fingers and toes are the furthest ends of your nervous system, and input there goes all the way through your, your body. So what I do if I'm in that state, which also is relaxing and helps you go back to sleep, is touching your thumb to each of your uh, other fingers in turn, one after another. Mm -hmm. So thumb touches first finger, then thumb touches second finger, then third finger, then fourth finger. And you do it slowly. You're not you're not at a yoga class. You're not doing a formal mudra. You're just like, you're under the blanket and you're going, bum, 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 bum. Now, that's surprisingly soothing to your nervous system. And then with your toes, flexing and pointing both your toes and your ankles is a great way to relieve tension starting at the bottom of you all the way up. There's an old Hawaiian breathing thing that is really, really helpful. You're lying down, so you just put your attention above the top of your head briefly, and then put your attention below the bottom of your feet briefly. Then you just ping pong that very slowly back and forth, so it's above the head, then below the feet, above the head, below the feet. And once you're good at doing that, you take the distance and you magnify it. So lying down, you can do this standing if you want, but don't get out of bed to stand. You're lying down, so <laughs> you put your attention 50 feet or 100 feet or two miles above your head. And then you ping pong it down to five feet or 10 feet or 50 miles below your feet. Here's what this does. It puts your, it's 
it puts your attention and your consciousness at the edges and the extremes. And what that does to the mind is it forces the mind to the center because the mind rebels against that softly. So it's a way literally to come back to the center of your heart and your belly, which is where your attention should be anyway, in a, in a soft kind of sneaky way. And if you do it for a couple of minutes, you'll naturally start to doze off because the mind will also get really, really bored, <laughs> which is very helpful for going back to sleep. I want to do a little process that helps with the with the trauma of being in this position, in the dark, awake. I don't know, I don't know of anybody who's awake at this time of the morning who isn't wrestling with something. And they're always wrestling, I can guarantee you they're always wrestling with the fear side of whatever the problem is, whether they're fighting with their neighbors in their head or worrying about their knee or just how things are going to go. It's always the fear piece. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a little bit of crazy sounding mumbling. And I know it's crazy. And what I'd like the listeners to do is to first, before we start, just do a 10 point scale. It's easiest. Think about something that you are a good wrestler with in the middle of the night. So the fight with Auntie Joan, we had two years ago, or something that's currently bothering you. Rate how high it is, how distressing it is. So 10 is the worst ever, 0 is it's gone and it's not a problem. Just pick a starting number. And you, you can't pick wrong, any number is fine. If it's an 8, if it feels like an 8, it's an 8. If it's a 3, whatever it is. That's going to be your starting number. So I'm going to do some mumbling and if you're not driving and not operating heavy machinery, I'd encourage you to do this with your eyes closed. If you are, um, if you are driving or operating machinery, I might ask you just to wait to do this safely anyway. But you can also do it with your eyes open. So you have your starting number. Your whole task in this—it's only going to be about thirty seconds long—is to is to go and look at what you are fighting without trying to fix it. Now, you know you can't fix it because you're still fighting about it, and that won't work. So we're sneaking in around where the mind can't go. So you just put your attention what it is you're fighting, and I'll be back to you in just a minute. Here we go. Okay, bring your attention back. You might want to look around the room, just use your eyes, see where you are. And then re-rate for yourself how the number is different. I will tell you that it will be different. If it isn't, give it 10 minutes. You'll notice that it drops. And I can only tell you this because I've done it for nearly years. <laughs> oh my God, I've done it for nearly 40 years. Yikes. Um, the, my math must be wrong. And very frequently with this work, you'll notice that there's a drop as of now. So if you started it as, at an eight, it might be at a five or three or somewhere. It may, it may have gone completely. Bill, did you follow along with our, our home program? I did. Great. What happened? Don't, don't tell us the content of what sure, you were fussing sure. about. But. So two things happened for me. One is right behind my shoulder blades, I felt a kind of release. And the second thing I noticed was the bottom eyelids of my eyes got just a little bit of tear ducts activated. And cool. I feel lighter. Good. What was your starting number and what's your number now? My starting number was six. And I'd say my new number is three. Great. That's very common what Bill describes. If that's not your exact experience, don't think you're a failure at this because everybody is very different and what you're working on each time is very different. 
And by the way, we're going to leave this in the interview so that you can always come back to this. Um, much as I'd like like to talk to you endlessly, my suggestion is mark mark the time that this starts so you can just you know zip on back to here. Let's do it one more time. Okay. Let's work on the same thing. So, Bill, for in your instance, we're at a three. Mm-hmm. So our our viewers at home playing the home game. Uh, you'll be at whatever number you landed on. We're going to do the same thing. You're going to put your attention on the same thing. Don't change that because we're, we're trying to get as low as we can. Here we go. Okay, bring your attention back. Same thing, use your eyes, look around wherever you are, come back to now. And then, Bill, tell us what you noticed. Yeah, so so what I notice is um, my jaw tension started to loosen up. Um, Yay! Yeah, Good. like, it's it, it feels like... Um, it feels like release of the jaw tension um and yeah and and then yeah that that piece and then i don't know if 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 i find a new number yeah we started at a three in this round yeah i feel like it's still resonant so it's on the scale so it's probably like a one and i don't necessarily think it needs to be anything less than one like it's there you're absolutely right on the money what will happen, usually somewhere between 20 minutes and two hours from now, is if, if we landed at a one or a two in that vicinity, normally what happens is it will just drain the rest of the way out when you're busy doing something else. So one of the fun things to do when I do this work for myself, because I'm a maniac at it, I write it in the calendar, what I worked on and when, because I like to look back and see if it did drain. There's a, a couple of good pieces of news here. If it doesn't drain all the way and you're good with it, that's fine. If you want to see it really completely let go of you, which is honestly what's happening, you can come back the next day and do this one more time. I mean, what did we spend a whole three minutes, you know, with lots of yak, yak, yak in between? Right. So, um, and then there's a fabulous piece of news that ironically doesn't occur to a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> you can use this for anything. Huh. I wonder what that would look like. So when I, my practice is made up of, of people and animals that are in, uh, that chronically are in a lot of trouble. That's how they find their way to me because other stuff has failed or stalled out. So one of the things I often suggest, if this, is a, if this is a way of working that resonates, and you'll notice we didn't do any mental processing at all. We also didn't have to talk about it, and we didn't say anything out loud. So it's a great kind of secret therapy for ourselves. But if you have, if you have a laundry list of stuff, what I suggest um, folks do is that they take a tool like this and they work the hell out of it, meaning... If you're up for it, every day for a month, go at this once or twice a day and go at different things. So there's, there's a, the mistaken way to do this is to go after the same thing relentlessly. Don't do that. Go after that a couple of times, but then go after every other thing that is pissing you off, bugging you, irritating you, because sometimes the hooks that thread all the way through these issues are in other areas. In fact, that's very common. And then at the end of the month, there will be so much that looks different from behind our eyes that it will be a remarkable experience. And if you don't have that much stuff, you know, take a week, take three days. That's part of the the tools that I make available. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you walking the listeners through that because 
I remember at one point earlier this year, I may have done a, uh, I may have sent a flare up for you and kind of just said, hey, <laughs> I could use some assistance. And I remember you sent me a few of these tracks to listen to. And there's something you said a, a few moments ago, which really kind of caught my body attention. And that was, you said, it will release you. You didn't say you will release it. Can you tell me why you said that? Because that's the truth of it. And for years, I didn't think it was because, you know, I'm sensible and smart and clever. <laughs> I can no longer even say that with a straight face because we're held by, we're held by our experiences. We're held by all of the things that trigger us. We're held by all of the tiny little prisons we're trying to break out of. Those are the things that are imprisoning us. So when we work on something, we're not the boss. We don't get to go, oh, I've, I've now handled that. That's what it feels like. I've handled that and I'm, I'm good. It's like, oh, thank God. My body, soul, spirit, and mind have finally been released from this suffering. And it really is a suffering. And we're, we're very, very, very complicit in that suffering because that's pretty much how we're wired. Yeah. I also think what's really interesting is when you talk about the sensation, and I encourage people to say this out loud as possibly as they do this exercise that you've shared with us, like say it out loud, like, <clears throat> excuse me, you can even hear my voice changing because again, this is what's happening right in the body when yes. you say it out loud. I know, your, your um, voice just dropped too. Yeah. the When you say uh, it released me versus I released it, it brings up two different sensations. One is, in the first one, you feel bound by some force or some strain and it, it, you are constrained. And then all of a sudden that lets you go. And so you now have room and space and you're breathing differently and you're feeling that sense of freedom. Whereas the latter where you say, uh, I released it, it only feels like maybe putting something down, right? Like you're carrying something heavy and you put it down. So that's a completely different sensation, far less uh, expressive and, and, and fluid than chains that were wrapped around you and all of a sudden that chain breaks and you can move in the world the way you're meant to move with this beautiful body and mind and heart. Absolutely, beautifully put. When and that tip about speaking it out loud I just want to pre-warn folks, that's really powerful. So yeah. don't be surprised if you opt for that, and both Bill and I would love you to opt for that. Don't be surprised if suddenly, when you feel released from whatever it is that you were engaged with, you start to cry. Or uh, my favorite kind of crying these days, because I've been crying a lot this last year, but my favorite is that your tears just run, and you haven't even caught up to the fact that what that feels like. It's just like my eyes are doing their thing. <laughs> yeah. Or you're breathing. Breathing is a great monitor for not only your emotional life, but your entire nervous system. So you will probably notice suddenly you'll be able to take unforced, unhurried, very leisurely, much bigger breaths with a greater amount of ease. And that's a, that's a direct marker for emotional ease and also your nervous system chunking down and actually letting go. So that's very viable kind of proof to see and enjoy. So you can work that this, the other way too. If you have, I used to have a very big breathing problem. So if you have something like that, my number one tip is do all the right stuff that you're supposed to be doing. Go do the emotional work. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's my tip for a lot of stuff, to be honest. It's like, have you done the emotional work on that? And sometimes it's as easy as grabbing hold of a tool like this. That, this particular thing with the mumbling that I do, everyone always asks, like, what are you mumbling? It's like, I have no idea. But it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I kind of know. But 
I'm one of the things this particular thing does is it unlocks trauma very quickly by bypassing the mind. So I will use this on the, the dogs and the horses I rehab and the people who are working through stuff. And it works just the same because we're working on the nervous system and the mind doesn't have to be a player. That's part of why it's safe. It's also part of why it's quick. Um, and, you know, safe and quick is good. Yeah, I, I think um, a couple of things come to mind that I encourage people to maybe uh, look into as far as resources. Um, one of the things that it reminded me of when you and I went through the exercises, um, not only today, but also when we when we first connected, was um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word for it. A user of binaural beats. And the the amount of healing that's done for me in that time, as you described in the evenings where it's, I mean, there's a little bit of trickery is what it is, right? So there's one frequency in, in one ear and there's another slightly different frequency in the other. And what it causes your mind to do is to try and right, right size the, the difference enough that your mind is actually not paying attention to the things that typically plague your mind. And I sleep, wonderfully and it actually does heal from sort of the inside out other people um really enjoy asmr autonomous sensory meridian response so it is akin to the tingling sensation that usually begins on the scalp and moves down the back of the neck into the upper spine so sometimes this comes when people whisper into microphones <clears throat> and you can hear the whispering. It also sometimes comes when people, and I'm gonna do this and I know I apologize for people who hate this, but like the scratching of the microphone, right? Or the sound of um, crumbled up paper. So there are different auditory sensations that fall within the ASMR family. And a lot of people find that to be really helpful as well. Now, for me, the ASMR stuff drives me nuts. <laughs> it does the opposite, right? Like you can see me even here, right? Rudy? I'm like, I'm, sh I'm shuddering. I'm like going in like a little ball. Um, and it's not a judgment thing, right? It works for some people. There I was thinking it was just a, f a fetishy noise thing. <laughs> right. Well, and to some people, some people really enjoy the, there is a fetishization. I don't know if that's a, a word, but there is that element of it for certain people. And so those are two resources that I would you know, encourage people to look into. The other um, ones are, there's a great book and movie by a gentleman named Stephen Jenkinson, and it's titled Grief Walker. And it, it alludes to, and it talks about what you said earlier, which is daily sort of going through the pre-grief of what we know is coming and what we know we're always working in some way against. Um, it's a beautiful documentary. All of Stephen Jenkinson's work, his writings, his his speakings on YouTube um, have have befriended me and a lot of loved ones during this time. And then the last thing, um, I'm at about three quarters of the way through the book, The Alchemist. It is tremendous and as you talked about sort of the heart-centered power of who we are and getting to that place this whole book is anchored on that and i just find it really interesting that we're connecting today when i'm kind of in the last parts of this book which have really reminded me of what you spoke about so for those that are listening if you haven't read this book i highly recommend it I've spent a lot of years now producing tools. I, I get yelled at by a lot of my peers. <laughs> uh, my peers go, why, why are you giving so much stuff away? It's like, have, have you ever seen yourself between two and the four in the morning? Shut up. Like we need, I, I'm a little rude to my friends. So we need crutches and tools and they're, they're temporary and that's fine. Like, you would never deny someone who had busted their ankle the use of a crutch for a few weeks 
in order to regain their stability, literally, figuratively, every other way. And yet we are so hard on ourselves. Like if we're going through a something, let's say your pet dies, which is crushing. We need some stretch of time where we can lean on something just to get through our day, to not, you know, I mean, I used to, I used to cry in the grocery store aisles <laughs> when, when my, when my pet dies, like, no, I can't deal. Uh, it was, it was not good. Like, please ask that man to leave the, leave the store. No, they never threw me out. But, but that's the feeling. We feel messed up and out of balance. So we need stuff we can use for some stretch of time. Um, I, make, I make a ton of stuff available for free on my sites. And I'm, I, I'm always asked this crazy question. I mean, you haven't asked the question, but I'm asked this question a lot. Like, why, why do you make so much stuff for free? And I said, because we need it and we need it <laughs> so there are because we all deserve the right to heal absolutely absolutely we do and and we deserve the right to heal at three in the morning when you can't talk to a therapist or i don't know i don't know about anybody except for myself but i have been broke and i have not been able to afford tools that i really could have used so if we can lean into these things, we can get our feet back under us and we can get strong again and we can get ready for the next animal, person, family member, lover, child, whoever it is to leave us. Because if you talk to your parents, if you're lucky if they're still alive or your elders, you'll hear this haunting phrase from them. My own parents just told me there were there was a stretch of a couple of months where they, between the two of them, they were going to between two and three funerals a week. I nearly threw up. I was like, oh my God, is this what we have to look forward to? It is. So we need to be both really strong. Well, we need three things. We need to know how to make a really good casserole because you got to show up with a casserole, <laughs> right? We need to be really strong, not only for ourselves, for those losses, but for our friends who are also going to be going through those losses. And then we somehow miraculously, and it only takes practice, have to stay in the heart. Because that is the place we're only talking about. We're talking about who we have loved, who we have lost, and how to stay connected and not run over by the intensity of both the love and the loss. Sometimes focusing just on the love, I mean, I happen to have had a great relationship, but when I focus on just the love, it's almost more debilitating than the loss because it's like grief, it's enormous. So we got to get good at those things, really. Yeah. So well said. So beautifully said. Rudy Hunter, uh, thank you so much for joining this discussion. Um, in, in so many ways, it was nothing like I expected and exactly what we needed, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. One last thing for you. Can you share with folks where they can find some of these resources, your website or where to, where to connect with you? I have a feeling there'll be a lot of people who would love to reach out. Oh, my, uh, my pleasure. So I have too many websites. That's my caveat. The websites are rudyhunter.com. That's Rudy with a Y. The next is huntershealingcalls.com. And then the third one is, oh, it's way too long, ashworkerstrainginghub.com. That's, that's a website for folks who want to learn how to do this work for people and animals. And if that's all too much to remember, which it certainly is, you can just hunt me down on YouTube, punch in Rudy Hunter. Two things will pop up. Lots of free healing resources, some gra short grab-and-use uh, videos that are focused on different things. If you scroll down enough on YouTube, you will see old videos of me doing cart tricks. 
So for those of you who are insomniacs, uh, if you watch a few of those, they will put you right to sleep. That's, that's my free gift to, to everyone. So. <laughs> Love that. Thank you so much, Rudy. I really appreciate all you do in this world. I'm so glad that I somehow was directed by uh, maybe an algorithm, maybe the universe, maybe the heart space to find your story uh, and connect. And thank you so much for helping me heal. Um, and I have no doubt others will heal. What a total delight being with you. Thanks so much. 